0: Hello, welcome to Dyslexia Explored, I'm Darius Nomderon, your host, and today I've got a young man, 21 years old, who is very passionate about helping dyslexics be the best version of themselves. He's even written a book called Conquering Dyslexia, and he's got his own podcast called Conquering Dyslexia, so go check that out, we'll put it in the show notes, and he's also a teaching assistant in school this young man is called theo golf it is great to have you on the show theo thanks for being here
1: yeah thanks for inviting me i'm 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 really excited darren to get into this and hopefully add some value
0: it's good to have you on board and uh i you've been following the podcast every once Mm -hmm. in a while as well over the last year or so haven't you
1: yeah yeah especially last month or so i've dived deep into it
0: what kind of episodes uh, caught your attention?
1: There was ones because I, I listened to a lot of the dyslexia podcasts. The one, the one that I've just finished was the one where you were taught. I'm very bad with names, but she's I think she's Scottish or Irish, and she's been in education for like 50 years, head teacher, and because the amount of like clear information she had was really, you mean really really good, and like how she, she knew your stuff really clearly, and she said it was like amazing. I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. But yeah. That's I, great. I, that's one of my favorites.
0: So Theo, I'm gonna ask you the same questions I ask everyone else. You know, I wanna get to know mm. your big story. I think this story is gonna be really useful, especially for young people, because mm. you've just been there. You're 21, yep. I'm 50. And uh, a lot of the parents who are listening are kind of like, I wanna know what it's like for young people coming through the system, etc. Mm. And you've just come through it. So you've got some insights to share. So take us back to where it all began. What was life like before you became aware of dyslexia?
1: So I, before I knew what I had, I had dyslexia, I remember moving into basically um, the school that, basically moving house, just moving in my mum, and there was a school down the road. that It was a one-form entry school, and I joined there. And I won't go too much into the details, but my mum knew something was badly wrong because I moved there in year one. And every, they picked up straight away that I couldn't speak. I, mean, I had a lot less speaking than everyone else. And then my mum said to me, I would love talking, but she couldn't understand a word I said. Uh-huh. And, 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 and this was a cycle that happened you know, throughout, and then they could understand some words and some words they couldn't, but I, that, they had no clue to me. And I remember, I'd always, I remember this very clearly for years and years and years. I'd almost, always say, my name is Theo. With a spell with an F, H, F E O, not Theo with a T H E O, F E O. I'd be like, there are people who say, "What's your name?" I'll say, "My name is Theo." They go, "Oh, Theo, hello, or whatever," and I go, "No, it's not Theo. It's Theo." And I'd get quite annoyed at that, thinking, "Why is people mispronouncing my name? Because so they hear my mum say my name. Why are other people saying that?" And I remember in class going through the years, because obviously reception is nice. Most of the time you're playing and you're coming in, a little bit of work. Year one, more serious. And I started noticing like, when people used to write letters on the boards, I start letters on the board and making sounds and words. I started looking at, around at everyone else thinking, well, oh, that kid's so smart. He knows what that sound is. He knows what that word is. He picked up that book and read it and learned it. That kid's so smart. And I spent a good few years, at least one or two years, believing everyone else in the class was smart, but I just wasn't smart. I never thought I was dumb. I just thought I wasn't smart. I thought, that's incredible. They can do that. This seems hard. Until the point where, like, when you're growing up and you start realizing, I think in year three, I remember being really, really starting to get angry. And it, it, started, it started to fly out at home with my older brother. We used to get in the fights daily and i just got really really angry and before long i was like the naughtiest kid in the school the biggest bully and i think subconsciously because all these problems were happening and subconsciously because i was really big really big kid i said subconsciously i was like i'm gonna hurt everyone else before they have chance to hurt me and i do when i saying this and when i'm looking back at it it's really clear. And I remember just being angry for no reason and just being, like, being angry and basically lashing out at anyone who should try and talk to me or make me feel better because that's kind of like my world and my bubble. And I think this is before the term dyslexia and this is after like two years of seeing educational psychologists of the school try and do its best to find out what's wrong with me. And basically, I remember there was a couple of experiences but one with my mum that really shaped her and it's really clear. I remember one day I was walking home um, from my school, um, lived just two minutes away, walked, holding a hand down, depressed, looking at the floor, hating, had a rubbish day, hating it. And I remember looking down and just before we turned up to go to the steps, mum was trying to cheer me up. I, mem- <laughs> I pulled her hand, I like, squeezed her hand really tightly and I looked at her and I said, mum, I wish I was dead. I wish I was never alive in year four. I said that just because I hated every day. I didn't. I didn't understand how anything worked. Why do, couldn't people understand me? Why would I talk?ing Why would I have an idea and I couldn't communicate it? All these questions that I had, and then with my mum hearing her thought, you mean uh, uh, her son who's in year four said they doesn't want to live anymore. So I was like, okay, it's not up to the school to deal with his issues. It's up to me now. And then sit, um, my mom and my dad did whatever they could to get me a diagnosis of find out what's wrong with me. And I did so many things, went in MRI machines and done so many crazy stuff. Until eventually, um, a person, Valerie Mucher, who's quite apparently well-known in the dyslexia space, diagnosed me with dyslexia. And she said to my parents that, I was statistically one of the worst dyslexics in England at like 0.2% of the severe category or whatever, whatever. But that kind of was the eye opening to my parents and I realizing this was the answer to why all these problems were happening in my life. And then from then, it was a big, big battle for me to go into my dyslexic school as a a blessing that my mum found it um in year four I got moved into into dyslexic school from year th- four into year three so that's kind of like how it started before that's how my life started before dyslexia came about
0: okay and so the wake-up call I suppose the wake-up call you could say was that moment on the street when you said yeah. I, I don't want to be alive yeah. for and it was your mum yeah, who mom. kind of made that decision, this is now my responsibility. Mm, yeah. And then Valerie came along and gave the identification.
1: Yes, this wow. was, um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So what, What? so you went to this dyslexia school, mm. and there's not many of these schools around, is there? Especially not in the UK. And you know, there's different ranges of dyslexia. You know, you know my analogy of stick shift thinkers and automatic yeah. thinkers. You're kind of like a stick shift thinker, okay? okay? Mm. And I'm like a stick shift thinker, but I'm like a six gear gearbox and I suspect you're probably like an 18
1: gear truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 18 eighteen gear, 20, 40 ton.
0: <laughs>
1: 18 gear, 40 ton truck yeah. that takes
0: 18 gears to get up to 70 or 80 miles an hour yeah, uh, up and down, up down the up. gears, etc. So you went to... The 18-gear truck school mm.
1: down in, the, <clears throat> what's it called? So the, the, the school is it, it, it's still around today, but it's got a different head teacher, so it's slightly changed. Um, the person who started there was called Mr. Brown, absolute legend. And, and I can't speak enough about him, but he started the school about, I joined when I was in year four. So oh, I had no idea of dates. Let's say that was 10 years ago. He had quit the school. 16 years before that but yeah mr brown was the head teacher of that school had me join it and he said to my parents it was really funny i won't forget he said to my parents after they took me in for the assessment i'm like okay he's dyslexic obviously and mr brown pulled my parents in and this is a school that's got 25 full-time ed- dyslexic educated educated teachers it costs a lot of money to go to school and only 50 kids and mr brown said to my parents "That theo's very very severe He's in fact, because he said, um, he's in fact one of the like one of the own, one of the most severe dyslexics I've ever seen. There's only two other people he's ever seen as severe as me at that, that age. And he said, We don't know if we can help him. Wow. And they, they, he gave me a retrial, and he said, if the retrial wasn't good, we won't accept. Him. And then there's I won't tell you the backlist of stuff we tried before that school that was like top dyslexic institutes and this, and they all rejected me because they said he's too severe. Because when I got diagnosed, um, I got diagnosed with dyslexia and attention problems, and it was like three big circles. This is what Valerie wrote. It's, it's in the conquering dyslexia book. So it's my whole story there. There's three big circles there, and they wrote dyslexia, attention, and other problems, and the, and said Theo's in the middle. He's <laughs> the worst. But um, that's my story of growing up, and then you mean having dyslexia and having these difficulties. And I really feel like where the value comes in is when because I had. I supposedly had to help and support in this dyslexic school, and it was amazing help and support. There's um, there's a concept like I talk about it. It's about building confidence, and it's like a little brick each day. And it you sort of you have low confidence, and you, you mean as a kid you don't understand the world. Everything's confusing. Everything's you mean you're upset, you're scared. But then someone goes, someone goes to you and makes you smile, makes you feel. You can do it. it. makes you feel like you're a part of something. Because like, I remember with me, it was the first day at Browns. My head was down. I was scared, nervous, didn't want to speak to anyone, thought it wouldn't work. And then I remember I was sitting in a table. It was like a circular table next to the toilets. Um, <laughs> I remember it really clearly. I was sitting there and I literally just minding my own business, waiting for, I don't know, whatever. And as a young kid, I had my finger up my nose. Like just for as in my own little bubble, and then out of the corner of my, of my eye, I saw this big, like, figure standing there, big figure. And I saw her, and I was like, ah! So I quickly pulled my finger out my nose, and then I was scared in case she noticed I had my finger up my nose and tell me off. And then um, see this ne- this woman's name's Miss Kelly, and she went to me, she looked at me, and she laughed, and she smiled, and said, Theo, there's loads of nose nose pickers here. You'll fit right in. <laughs> I I, I laughed and I I felt good. And then I suppose that's like the first brick in building my wall confidence because I felt... It's my first time I ever smiled in school. First time I ever felt I belonged in a school. And don't get me wrong. In that school, this this was the first day, it took me... My best friend for a year and a half was a wall. And my best game was a wall ball because I get a ball, kick it to the wall, get it back, kick it to the wall. And that's happened day after day. But as little bricks of confidence helped me build my wall of confidence through you mean having that little help or through making me laugh making me feel like I could you mean I'm a part of something and that was kind of like my growing up and building my foundations as it were.
0: Wow so when we talk about your challenge the yeah. challenge that was presented to you you've you've been presented with one of the most extreme challenges of dyslexia yeah. it, it can show I mean I'm moderately dyslexic so I, I feel like I've got the A bridge between two worlds of typical thinking and dyslexic thinking sometimes i don't think i'm dyslexic enough i wish i would be more dyslexic because then i'd maybe delegate more stuff but at the moment i'm kind of kind of can do it but it takes me forever whereas the bransons and the jobs and so on of this world are like so dyslexic they're like i can't even do it you're going to do it um so you you had this huge
1: challenge what what would you say was your biggest challenge then well, it, it well it depends what you, who, who you ask. If you ask me, like going through a dyslexic school, you you don't have a big your biggest challenge is getting to school because everyone else deals like has the weight of your challenges. So, for example, you go in a dyslexic school, you are not good at you, you you fail on a test or whatever, you get low marks. Everyone around you supports you, and it's amazing. That's as a as a kid that's not a challenge because you know you're trying your best you mean other people look saying oh because my biggest challenge probably was my speech my speech at the time because I can they think I was applauding my ears but it took me six years six years or eight years six years to learn how to say my name Theo correctly of literally an hour a week sometimes two hours a week one-to-one saying over again I hate it but it took me that long to for my speech to work and then um, other things with coordination and um, other stuff. So probably looking in on me, my speech was was the biggest thing. But personally, how I experienced it was confidence was going out there and talking to other people and not feeling an idiot, not feeling like I, a mean, I'm having had a big star, not feeling like I had start and not feeling that that I'm less than. And my biggest problem then moving away from that school after year eleven of being at school my whole what felt like my whole life, my biggest challenge by a mile was confidence. I had no idea what's going on in lessons, but as a you mean a kid, I was 16 at the time, it, lessons was, a, was one small part. What's a bigger part is making friends, going out, experiencing life as a 16-year-old. I wasn't able to do that because I didn't have the skills or, or I, I felt like I wasn't able to speak to people, to make friends. I would try, but... I would would try to make friends, but they would just, it wouldn't work. I wouldn't learn how to do it socially. And so that's the answer. So for me, confidence for them, it would be speaking. And I see, I see in my dyslexic school, socially, socially, it wasn't a problem. It took me years to build up confidence. But once I had it, I had it, I had my friends. I felt confident. I was, you mean, eventually I was mean the last couple of years, I was like one of the confident kids. Then as I left that school, I remember be feeling so excited to leave it to experience the real world doing stuff. And then I started my sixth form. I was so excited, and this excitement lasted for about three hours once I was actually inside the sixth form. Because so I started looking, don't remember their name. <laughs> Sorry about that. But everyone else remembers their name. Everyone else is talking, making friends, but I don't remember any one of their names. I want to communicate, I want to laugh, I a joke, but I feel like I can't. And then I felt like I couldn't remember their names, and then I realized, I don't know where I'm going. I get lost in school. And I went in class, no idea what's happening in class. No idea, other people got it. I had no, not a single clue. And then really, because having these things build up and then worrying about my stutter, I'd stutter, or I couldn't pronounce words and people make fun of me and people did. And if all these problems come to me then I'll just basically break and just so thinking, okay, What can I do? I can't do anything. And uh, each day, like this, is uh, over a few months. Uh, And I'll try and be confident. I'll try and talk to people and be friends, make a friend, and it wouldn't work. It would fall through, and uh, because my confidence and because of the other people, and because I didn't have the skills to to communicate. So I spent my whole education not learning social skills. Ah, because I was same fifty people. Like you mean a few go, a few come, but same fifty people. So guess what? I didn't have to learn out, learn about what click I'm in, learn about all these different things. We are you mean? If you stick, you mean a, a loads of people from loads of different backgrounds together for long enough, they're going to become friends, <laughs> like typically. But this is basically what happened with us. We didn't have to learn socially; we just be, um, and then things just happen. But in a big school, you had to learn. You mean clicks, and I never knew any of that. Didn't think, I mean didn't think it would be hard. And I remember, like, um, before long, I literally. Would open my mouth all day. I would just literally keep my mouth closed. And I remember on the bus ride home, my, the muscles in my face used to physically hurt because I'd never speak, never speak to anyone. I remember that. And I remember actually quite coming home and just sitting down on this little red chair down where I lived. I used to hit the side of the chair and just basically cry when no one was in, inside the house because, like, Emotionally, where like growing up, I felt like I had so it's raining outside, but I felt like I had the best support. I felt like I had the best growing up, and this is the end product. This is the best you can be, Theo. Give it your best. You mean this? You mean this is you? you <laughs> this is the highest of the high. And I felt like I was, I felt hopeless. I felt there was no answers. I felt, you I mean every day I was hating it, and there's nothing more I can do at the best for eight years of my life. And I suppose that's how it felt. For me with confidence. Fascinating you know one of the things I've observed is that
0: often people's difficulties with dyslexia can get explained away by other things in the early years so people can say oh English isn't their foreign language so it's probably that or oh they've got a hearing problem maybe it's that Oh, they've got this. Maybe it's that. Oh, they've got this. Maybe it's that. Did they do that with you? Did they attribute your difficulties to your hearing and your difficulty speaking and so on, rather than dyslexia?
1: Mm. Um, to be quite frank, I don't know. I yeah. remember because I, I, I remember being at my sixth form, and because they did have a special needs department, and I had one hell of a statement giving them a lot of money. I don't know what the crap term statement or whatever, but. um... I remember, I remember them asking me, "Okay, what sport do, What support do you need?" And I mean, you're not having a clue because everything was handed to me, and I suppose me growing up, I never took like you mean that everything was handed to me, everything was assumed for me, and there, there, there was people saying to me. I remember I would say this like there there's loads of people saying to me that common dyslexic myth that. When you're dyslexic, the words always jumble around when you're looking at them. The words always move around in the page. And I remember growing up, everyone, when I said I've got dyslexia, everyone put a piece of paper in front of me and say, D- does this word jumble about? And for a while, I'd be like, they're not jumbling about. But because everyone kept asking me over and over again, I was like, yeah, they jumble about, jumble about just to make them happy. Because they wouldn't believe me when I said they don't. <laughs> So I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> and, they, and they tried loads of different color overlays, and they barely made any difference. But I was like, yeah, yeah, I like that one, just to make them happy. <laughs> you, know, it, it's,
0: I, I was, you know, when we, did, we created our Dyslexia Quiz, hmm. I went through, we, we pulled together these 50 different questions for the Dyslexia hmm. Quiz, and if you're listening, go check out the app called yeah. Dyslexia Quiz on the App Store. It's really great fun. Uh, It's got lots of animations and doodles and it gives you a dyslexia score at the end. Um, But I went to an educational psychologist, Dr. Shona Lannan, and went through the questions with her and I said, how would you rank these questions? And one of the questions was letters jump up and down. And it didn't make the cut because she said probably only about 2% of dyslexics have letters jump up and down. The rest don't. They're still just as dyslexic but that's a rarer sign of dyslexia. And yet it's become the one thing that people relate to it. And it can be a bit of a curse actually, because a lot of people think, oh, I can't be dyslexic because letters stay still. And yet they're really dyslexic. And so they, they kind of rule themselves out from the opportunity of discovering what's actually underlying some of their challenges and solutions. So that's fascinating, the challenge for you was the confidence, and from the outside was the speech. What would you say has been the reward, you know? Mm. Tell us a little bit about what happened after school. You know, things turned around quite a bit for you, and you wrote a book about this as well. What's it called again?
1: Conquering Dyslexia.
0: And we'll put that into the description. Mm. So we're now going into the conquering dyslexia phase of your life, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, here's where... I can get really passionate and I've been holding it back as I talked through my story, but when I was like, cause I'm going to talk and if I get too far, please stop me. So, (laughs) so basically, you know, where I like, so, so you know, the upbringing about how all the challenges I had and it was up to the point, this is about a couple, six months or so into my sixth form where I was feeling hopeless, crying every day. when I was coming back from school and you mean basically, in school, when anyone used to look at me, I used to get butterflies in my stomach, feeling like I was going to be sick. It's got, it's got that bad, and I just didn't know any answers. And then I remember feeling like, this is just so, so bad, thinking like, f- think, feeling like the same person I was when I was in year four, telling my mum I didn't want to live anymore. I was feeling the same sort of emotions. But now I was older, I re- knew more stuff about the world. I was like, this can't be it. This can't be the rest of my life. So I decided to watch confident videos on, U- on YouTube. I wanted to be more confident and I watched all the sort of videos you could as that, you mean, um, at that time. All the videos on how strangers can pick up girls, the phone numbers on the way to you mean, to do, doing things in the classroom. To so, there's so many different people and, and, I, and I was trying all of this stuff. Every day I'd come back and just I was doing boxing at the time quite a lot. So every day I'd come back after boxing. Um, I'd just open my iPad and watch confident videos on YouTube all the time, all the time. And for about three, four weeks nothing changed i'll try this strategy i'd learn this i'll try this i'll do that and i'd pretend to have like a little confident circle i'd think of myself myself and be confident nothing worked until one day i remember like i do remember it so clearly it's, it's scary but i remember it was it was a cold wednesday evening i was knackered from boxing training and i was on my ipad watching watching confident videos and you know the little sidebar that comes up with all the other videos you can watch I keep seeing this guy. He had a big face and like big, spotty face and a big broad shoulders. So I clicked on it. I seen him a face. I seen his face a couple times. And as he started speaking, I started realizing he had a really rustly voice. He had a you know what I mean a really rustly voice. And I thought he's like some sort of alcoholic. He has nothing. You know I mean it doesn't look professional. Doesn't know anything about confidence. Can't help me at all. And literally just before I was about to put off my turn off my iPad and go to bed for the next day of hell. He said these words, and I want everyone to listen. Like, I always talk about this obsessively in the book. He said these words, the only way to change your life is to take responsibility of your life. And when I heard that, I remember sitting in my bed, my whole body vi- like, literally vibrating, and I realized something so, 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 so clear. Yes, I am very, very low confident. Yes, I have dyslexia. Yes, I have all these challenges. And, um, but ultimately, to get where I want to go, to be more confident, to do the things, to be the person I want to be, it's not down to anyone else giving me any more help and support. It's down to me doing it for myself, me taking the actions, me doing the steps, because without that, nothing can change. And literally, I realized that so, so, so clear. Because before, I was always looking for the person to help me. Like in the past, I was always like in the past, everyone was giving me the help. I was handed the help. And if it didn't work, it wasn't my fault. It was the help's fault that didn't work. And that's, that's how I was thinking. That's how I was brought up to think. But once I realized that's a completely wrong way of looking at it, it's not that help's fault didn't work. It's that I didn't use what I learned. And it, what, once I realized I got obsessed and I, this, this guy, this big figure that said these words was called Tony Robbins and you've probably heard of him, but he, I listened to every single video obsessively and he literally changed my life. But a lot of what I talk about comes from the concepts of what he, he said, but in the, how we can apply it for a dyslexic person. So anyway, I got obsessed with watching his stuff. I was getting up at 3 a.m. in the morning, crazy, doing something that he called the hour of power, where you get up and you think of stuff to be grateful for, and you think of stuff you want to have happen, and you say stuff like as if it happened. I remember saying, like in every way, in every day, I'm getting more and more confident. I do so many different things, and guess what? Before long, when I went into school, people were like, who are you, and what have you done with Theo? Because I felt alive. I remember changing certain things. I remember feeling, not feeling overly confident, but feeling more myself. Saying what I want to say, not being, not being f- felt like I've been forced to not say it. Say it because I want to say it, not feel like I've been forced to not say it. And I remember doing all these things, going on this journey. I was like, oh my God, I improved my confidence. Then I got obsessed and improved my fitness. I got crazy like, fit with my, all my boxing. When loads of, um, of we. Win! I don't know what white right word. Loads of boxing competitions, um, tournaments, and that was amazing. I was like, I'm doing this really, really good. I was like, what else can I do? And I started studying all about life, about how it works, about why people do what they do. And I, and I learned so much more. I got into coaching and life coaching and all these other things, and going to events and all this stuff. And I remember feeling on top of the world, like this is great. Until something happened. <laughs> it's like hit me with a big like. A big hit or a big um crane ball or whatever and it it was when i was in school going through my normal day doing my normal bits and then this head of the special needs department pulled me in this is coming to the end of the first year six form That was two she pulled me in a couple weeks before the end and she said to me sat me down said to me theo you're going to do a gcse english next year i looked at her and i laughed at i was like what you're, you're joking, right? You realize I spent eight years of my life with the best help, with the best support. And uh, d- d- just let like you know, I barely scraped past with the functional skills in English. It was, a, it was a miracle that I did. But now this school <laughs> thinks that they can help make me pass a GCSE, which is like two, three times harder than functional skills level in one eighth amount of time and with one the tenth amount of help. And I looked at. It, I laughed at. It. I was like, "No way!" I spent my whole ed- I mean childhood education improving English. This is the best it's going to be. I can't improve it anymore. And said, "Theo, you're in for the lessons. You have to go for them. It's on your schedule next year." I was annoyed. I didn't think it would be true. Lo and behold, next year happened, and I was scheduled for these English classes to go in. Most of them I didn't go in. Some of them I did. And when I did go with them, I was mucking around because uh, me in a class of 30 kids learning English isn't a good mix. And so, but anyway, a couple of weeks after that, people noticed. And the same, um, the head of special needs department pulled me in and started talking to me again, saying, Theo, you're not doing any of your work. You're not doing it. You, you need to do You need to buck up your things. This is, I'm this is, um, sixth form. It's school, end of the day. And I was like, Miss, don't you understand? I can't learn in this class. I can't learn this. How, I don't understand how you think I could learn this. And I was getting so frustrated and so annoyed that she didn't understand my difficulties. And that's exactly how I felt. And then she said this, and I don't think she intensely meant to, to do this, but it, she said something that really changed the way I for completely. She, she said, Theo, why do you think that? and then i was literally I had a red face i was about to like shout her say the same thing i said over and over again but instead of doing that i thought okay let's answer this let's prove her wrong so i, so I thought about it. i was like okay why do i think this And then it hit me because i've been so much listening to so much positive stuff about you mean what humans are capable of and all of this stuff i realized i think i can't improve it because i believe I can't improve it. I believe I can't improve it because all the past experience of having the help and not working. And then I said to her and literally I said to her this, I said, I'm um, miss, I believe I can't learn English. I, I think um, I say this because I believe I can't learn English. And then, because something I realized. It's so, 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 so true. And I want you to realize this and have all your listeners to realize this. And I think it would be a good um, thing to talk to your children about, but, I realized that a belief is an opinion, it's not fact. I believed I couldn't improve my English, that's an opinion, it's not fact. The fact is I don't know if I can improve my English. The fact is I don't know if I can get a C in English, a passing grade in English, I don't know that. I know that could be hard, I know I had this experience in the past, but that's the past, I'm a different person than I am now. Then a voice in my head, literally all happened in a second. Said, what if? What if you could do it, Theo? What if you could work, give it everything you got and get a C in English? What if? What's the downside of that? Well, the downside of that, I'd work really hard and know it it wouldn't work. Fine. Okay, what's the upside? I could work really hard and prove to myself and everyone else that I didn't that I did not have to let dyslexia stop me, and this all happened right there. A tear coming down my eyes, and there was a silence for a bit when we were looking at each other in that room. I left there, and I remember on the bus home, I was like, "What's just happened?" Because I, and I felt this emotion was such such a high level because this is what I, this is what I accepted. I accepted that. Because we had all this junk piled up in the past, I know when you're going through dyslexia, you're going through school. I know, Dan, but you can probably relate. When we're going through school, if so much junk piled up about trials and failures, trials and failures, we try best. Our teacher would motivate us or whatever, and we fail. We try and fail. We do something we're passionate about, and then fail. And then after a length of time, we learn that we can't do this. We learn that doing this equals pain and then i cuz then on the, on the on the bus wide back i realized what i did is that i i had the courage to open up the possibility that i can improve it again i've the i opened up the possibility saying this is a possibility i can improve my english the this, this dyslexia label does not define me my past experiences of having the best help supporting a dyslexic school yet being the lowest of the low in a dyslexic school does not define me I define me. I've just opened up that possibility and it, and it shook me. And on, on late on the bus ride home, I had an idea, epiphany, because my brain was racing at million miles an, an hour of how I can do this. I called my mum up and said, Mum, have you got a notebook? She said, No. Why? I was like, to learn my English. And she laughed or whatever. I didn't think she believed me. But anyway, um, we ended up buying a little notebook. Literally, um, a uh, little notebook that big. Um, A, I don't know, A, small. Pocket size. <laughs> yes, pocket size. So i carry around in my little bag. And what I would do, because I was doing a lot of tech work, which means just a lot of writing on the computer. So every three words, there was a red line underneath. And every 10 word, the spell check couldn't spell check. So basically, my strategy was, I would do this for a couple hours each day in school. I would, every red line I would see in my work, I would go through it i would speak it out on my phone have the correct spelling spell the correct spelling in that red line and then write this red line word in my little notebook knowing that this is one a word that i cannot spell and two a word that i need to spell because what i'm studying is fitness and i spent a a year and a bit being a personal trainer because i love it but um so i need to know to how to spell these words then i had this book like magic book and <laughs> i called this book muck up my dyslexia actually at the time i called it i'm f my dyslexia but i don't want to use that term because it's not child friendly <laughs> parents look at thing oh maybe not <laughs> but um yeah because to me i i i laugh girls think yeah i'm gonna like you know what I mean i was gonna muck my dyslexia up and i sort of like turn it on its head so all these things that behold me back in the past i can go and win i can go and win this war so anyway I'd write all these words down that I knew that I, one, wanted to spell and two, can't spell. And then I spent, I like work out at least three hours each day working on that little notebook. I would get a train from, no, a bus from my house to school and then a bus from my school to the train station, from the train station to middle of London to go boxing and then a, then a train and a bus to get home. All of the time, I'd get my little um, micro-dyslexia notebook out, whatever I you want to go use. I'd open it, and I'd see these words that I couldn't spell, and I, this is the strategy I used back then. And I'd, I'd see the words, like, for example, cat. I'd see the words, like, a, cat, c-a-t-a, cat. And then with my pen, I would do a dot, c-a-t-a, cat, c-a-t-a, cat, K-a-tuh, cat. I'd do that over and over again, and then I'd eventually, after I could see the words, I'd close my eyes, and I'd write it with a pen or with my finger in the air, Curter cat. And I would say it. I'd say it fast and fast and fast. I'd close my eyes and I see it vividly burning in my skull. And then I'd explode and write all that word out cat like six, seven, eight, nine times down in that little bit. And then my thinking at the time, because I had loads, all the like dyslexic program strategies, i you mean, they threw it on me. So I kind of had a good resource about what worked and what didn't work. And I found out this was a strategy that, you mean, I like and it felt like it was working. So I would write that down, and I'll do that for each word. If I spelt the word wrong when I was writing it down and not looking at the correct spelling, I'll just do the whole process again. And I was doing that. I was getting school an hour early, leaving school an hour late. I managed the head of English in a big school to give me one-to-one lessons through asking like 10 times. I was doing all this stuff. Then I passed my English, which is amazing. But then I um, I realized afterwards, I improved my reading and writing ability 500% more. And I first stepped into that sixth form compared to eight years of the best help in the world. So, technically, I only spent one year of improving it obsessively. Spent one year, I improved my reading and writing ability five times more with having little to no help compared to eight years of the best help in the world. And that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book, Conquering Dyslexia, to teach you the mindset of how. You mean how you can turn your mind to learning? And it's a lot about reasons. It's a lot about motivations and massive thing about beliefs. And this isn't about talking to me or about my book or whatever. I'm saying you this story to see, add value to, to see what's possible for you. And I want to add one thing in here before we talk about, because I, I I know Dan, um, Dan wants to ask about the strategies of learning and planning. I, I want to talk about that, but kind of to cap my story off, I remember a couple weeks ago after I got my C in English and everyone was celebrating it was good and I felt good I remember I was still doing my early morning walks and I was thinking I, I was actually asking myself why is my life different than everyone else and up to this point I always viewed my dyslexia as something that was holding me holding me back I was like yes it's an advantage in certain areas and yes I know Albert Einstein had it and all that but but I still viewed it as something that would hold me back. So like, yeah, it took me this long to get a C in English. It's ain't good. But um, I asked, my, asked myself the question, why is my life different than everyone else's? For example, everyone else couldn't wait, to, couldn't wait for Friday to go out and party. But I couldn't wait to go home to, to work on the thing I wanted to work on or learn the thing I wanted to learn. And I was like, okay, why is that? Or I got obsessed with personal development. I got obsessed with improving myself. And these people didn't. Why did I get obsessed with improving myself? Because I watched some video of some big guy standing there saying, the only way to change your life is take responsibility of your life. Okay, I watched that. These people didn't. Then I asked myself, why did I watch that video? Well, I watched that video because I was in a, such a bad state, because I was depressed, because I even had no confidence, because I desperately wanted to improve my confidence. And speaking and all this stuff. Then I asked myself like the question that literally changed me is such a big thing. But anyway, I asked my question, why why did I have low confidence and hating everything? I had low confidence, hated everything, because I had dyslexia. I wouldn't and then everything blew and it's so clear and I mean all teary-eyed. And it from every day from that point on, I know dyslexia is a gift in my life because it makes me who I am. I wouldn't be the person I am today without dyslexia. And I sort of in the book that I have two outcomes. And in my basic teaching and why I'm doing this podcast and passionate about it, I want to deliver two outcomes to people and two big big outcomes. First one, have people take responsibility of their dyslexia. 100% responsibility. Not I mean, not responsibility when you're just pushing yourself and you're having so much pressure and everything's up to you. Just, I don't mean that that's silly responsibility. I'm talking about full ownership of your life. Full ownership of how's it going? You're not like it. You can't get a job. You can't make friends. You can't do this. You can't do that. Well, guess what? It's your job. You've got to go fix it. Because something I learned in, in my whole thing, a big saying that I want people to realize, it's not what you have that counts. It's what you do with what you have that counts. That's the the first big section of the book. And the second thing is, I would value more, I I would argue more valuable, is realizing dyslexia is a gift in your life. Once you realize that, like all these struggles will will be a reason, but I'm sorry for rambling on. Um, But yeah, that's my little breakthrough. That's
0: fantastic, I love that. That's great hearing that. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com, which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for Apple devices. You know, I was listening to a guy, Paul Scanlon, and he was saying, every gift you have in life comes wrapped in a problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I thought, that's very clever because you can look at the wrapping of something and you can get some ugly wrapping you know and you're like oh i'm not touching that you know but if you don't touch it you don't unwrap
1: the gift and you unwrapped a gift there didn't you Yeah. yeah yeah and you can go your whole life having this you're having dyslexia and you can work so hard to improve it do so many different things to improve it but if you don't realize the gift that if you don't appreciate if you don't like it then ultimately i say ultimately you haven't experienced the the beauty is to fully because i i i believe in order to love yourself you have to love every part of yourself and select is a big part of you it's a big part of you whether you like it or not it is this thing that makes you slightly differently than everyone else you have to love it and find some way to appreciate it and yes it gives you gifts it can give you gifts through you mean because you're born with dyslexia your brain's wired differently or because you had to go through so much struggle to be able to develop the gift to be able to teach other people the gift and yeah
0: well I often ask what were your most influential learning moments was it person a group of course and it sounds like Tony Robbins yeah was a major influential learning move, And he was for me as well. I remember in my twenties too. That was a while back further <laughs> than, than you, you know. Um, he's been going a while and yeah, yeah great. Uh, tell me about your experience of mind mapping in that journey. You've been yeah, through so dyslexia. Tell me about mind mapping in your experience.
1: So I've been thinking about the Why? while. I've been, I mean, recent, I, I knew about you for ages, but recently I just de- del- delve right back into mind mapping and, and basically thinking, okay, planning is a big thing for dyslexics and thinking, okay, mind mapping is a big thing and planning and how they go together. And what's my process? Cause I feel I've you mean done a lot. I just severely dyslexic person read your book. That's basically 300 pages. You mean it's a big thing. How, how do I plan everything and get it organized and get all the stuff. And my, I want to get, like my process, I, I think is similar to mind mapping, but um, it's, it, I learned it from Tony Robbins, but um, I, I, I use it, and it's, I, it works so good for me. as a process that I can get everything down in order that makes sense. And there's a couple of fundamentals that I see. I, I go, okay, what? The biggest question I say, okay, for example, I like I like planning because I feel if you don't plan, you won't know if you've done well or not. You can't have success. And if for me, if I don't plan, if I don't execute the first thing on my plan, it all go rubbish. So I say, okay, what's the outcome I want? What's the number one thing I want in, in a subject? What's the number one outcome we want to, to get that C, to get this thing, outcome I want in my health or whatever? So say the outcome I want, okay, this is the outcome I want. Then I brainstorm, you, you write down all the different things I can to get me there, to, to, to get me on that on the individual outcome. It can be a big outcome, like what, am I, what, what, what are my priorities for the week or what's this? So I can brainstorm all the little ideas. And then basically I brainstorm all the ideas and then I can pit cause this can be all the things I want to get done in the week. And I can put them into categories. Like for example, with me right now with telling a lot of people about dyslexia, there's different categories like social media. That's a category. Like there's a thing with my book and I'm learning a lot of things about how can I get my book on websites? And it's like, I know you probably know a lot but it's a whole, it's a whole new world for me. So okay, um, that's a category of book. I have another category of. So I'm doing that. Um, another category of. And for doing this, um, uh, finished the book challenge that I'm currently doing. It's a completely different thing. We can't talk about it. Um, we can if you want. But um, that's another, that's another category I'm doing. And so I basically I break them down into categories. Okay, this action relies to this category. This action relies to this category. So I have this out. First thing you brainstorm, have that outcome, brainstorm all the ideas, have the categories, have a, basically an, an individual outcome for each category and then label, okay, what actions are the most important? And that's the 80, 20% principle, okay? That can take the least amount of time, but get you most towards your result. And sometimes I just label them and see. okay, this goes here, this goes here, but the main, th- and then I schedule it into my actual calendar, time, dates, things. And then for me, if I don't do my morning ritual, it'll go to rubbish. If I don't do that, you mean I have to do my morning ritual, that sets me up for everything. And I've been obsessed like working on that. But the basics is every day before, before I go to bed, 99% of the time, I, you mean I, I, I review the day. So oftentimes I can review the week. I um, re- review it. Okay, what went good? What went not so good? That takes 30 seconds. And then I plan the next day. Three big outcomes, basic, a couple words. They're not spelled correctly as long as I can read them. And then a big thing, I do why. Outcome, why. Why is it important? Emotional juice towards it. Why is it important? I do that and I do my actions. What's most important for me? And then some of them are musts. Like you can, you can underline them. I can change the color of them. I do some PowerPoint on my computer. And each category is a different color. Like the outcome is blue, the why is green, and the actions is gray or something. So it really helps me. And then, um, so I have my actions down there, actions on the far right. And then, because I have that in there, and sometimes I can schedule each individual plan on my phone in terms of the time frames. I've done that in the past, but oftentimes I can get overwhelmed. But now, so I scheduled all that in. I know my outcomes for the day, and then I go into my little notebook, and then I write them down. Like, okay, for example, if I'm now working, I get up, do my morning ritual, go to work, something that I can do in my break, then and go home. Sometimes I do work actions depending on how important it is. And then I can go home and okay, this is what I'm going to do when I'm home. And I have like a list of things I, I, I want to do and I want to be in bed by a certain time. And I feel for me personally, having a structure, getting up time and a going bedtime makes me be able to work harder because I feel like, oh, I'll go, I'll go better and I finish all these actions. It will, the, the time frame will continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Then I don't do the actions. I get frustrated and fed up but that's kind of what I do as mean. And I think it's, it's, it's a form of mind mapping, but it's not circular, it's not in words, it's in columns. It uses colours and it's very, very visual. I can see everything I'm writing, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah
0: Fantastic. That's... Fantastic, Theo. Theo, let's go to the advice to your teenage self. Yeah. I think you've given quite a lot of advice to your teenage self here in a way. But how would you wrap it up?
1: The main thing I would say, like teenage self, depending on where we are, the biggest thing for me would be go for it. Just go for it. Because from like realizing it's a gift and you're learning all these things from learning, doesn't do like the difference between learning and action you can learn. You can read the book. You can go through all the courses you want. By action, getting out there, being confident, getting out there, doing is so much more. You mean you learn so much more. And I think okay, do it, Theo. Because like, I always know what I wanted to do. Like, but I would always have this thing that would stop me. I would just go out there and just, just, just do it. Start, start, and do it. And
0: fantastic.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: That's brilliant. So, tools in your travel bag.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: What sort of tools and gadgets, apps, techniques? I'm sure you've got tons of them. Mm. We don't have that much time left,
1: but I'd love to hear some of your yeah. tops. I'll be, yeah, cause my tools... So, for example, I have a system. Now, I have, for example, waiting uh, this 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 won't be very, very... Um, like, you can't model this very much, but for example, writing my book, the only reason I finished it because I had a person extremely passionate about helping me, spent the hun- same amount of time it took me for writing it, so she took spell correcting it. And this is crazy, completely for free. But um, I sent her all the work that I want doing, so she does it. Amazing. What's his name? Um, her, um, Sineadine Gogol.
0: Shout out for a Sinead. Big time.
1: Say? Sineadine Gogol. Okay. Gogol, yes, yeah, he's Irish. But. <laughs> um yeah so um big shout out to her that's one thing um and the planning system we talked before is my biggest tool and my biggest weapon of having me done because for example that's the idea of it's a, i think the biggest thing is the concept of the idea of having an outcome and if it doesn't work change your approach and then then you can find all the other tools available to you yes the other tools is is reviewing if it works or if it doesn't work for you If it doesn't work for you, go out there and find something else. And that, I think, is so, so powerful. And the biggest tool for me is learning. If you want to learn new something, YouTube. YouTube, learning. but The best way I learn is pretty much video. Video, audios, and having a set time to do it. And, yeah, so reviewing and reviewing and learning videos and all and uh, so many different stuff but i think the biggest biggest thing is, is reviewing and constant learning always look for a place that you can learn because if you're always learning that you know there's always answers
0: fantastic theo it's just uh, been wonderful to hear your mindset for a 21 year old it's um that's a pretty advanced mindset you've got you. i'd say that's come from you know, confronting your dyslexia, it's accelerated you. your mindset.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Thank yeah. you for <laughs> just being a guest <laughs> on Dyslexia Explored. Yeah. It's just been fascinating to hear your story. And those of you who are listening will put the links to Theo's book and his Instagram is it, is it, is it and
1: can I give them yeah? a little gift if they if yeah? Yeah, so, sure, yeah. The book, you can get the book on Amazon, hard copy or whatever, or on Audible, you pay for it or whatever. But if you want it, because I know some um, some people don't have Audible or Amazon. Amazon, that's a bit weird if you don't have it. But I, I want because I basically spent a lot of time speaking it and a lot of money editing it. I would like to give this audiobook for people for free, if that's all right. If you like yeah. that. Yeah? Yeah. So go to conqueringdyslexia.net forward slash book, and you can put it in your thing, but that's completely for free.
0: Brilliant. And is that Melbourne. an audio to listen to?
1: Yes, you can listen to the audio, and then I do send you the ebook, So, you can see so how I lo- love learning. I can listen to the audio work and listen and look at the words, and therefore it's multi-sensory more.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. And we'll put other links to your work and Facebook and uh, Instagram, etc., up as well. So, thank you very much for being here, Theo.
1: Thank you. Enjoyed it.
0: This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where dyslexia productivity coaching comes in because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind-mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.